scripture reading this evening will come from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. For the next couple of weeks, I'm going to talk about the subject of homosexuality. I promise to be discreet. I realize I have a very diverse audience, but this is a subject that from time to time we need to talk about among the people of God. Tonight, what I'm going to do is just very simply this, to tell you what the Bible says about this, about this practice, about this lifestyle. Next week, Lord willing, my plan is to address some of the arguments that are being made in the religious world. Many, many um, Christian denominations, and I use that, that term Christian in quotes, denominations are splitting and having um, a lot of division. And it would be worth our while to spend some time exploring what arguments are being made in favor of homosexuality being combined with Christianity in any way, shape, or form. It's, it's an important study. That's next Lord's, Lord's Day, uh, Sunday night. And then the third lesson, we're going to address the question of how do we build bridges with our neighbors who are living this way? How do, we, how do we have an influence on them? What does God want us to do? And what are some things we need to pay attention to and be sensitive to as the people of God? Because I know this, I know that God wants all men to be saved. No matter where they come from, no matter what they're doing with their lives right now, God loves everybody. God wants what's best for everybody, and so do we. And so how can we build bridges with people that we're trying to help to see God's plan for all of our lives? And that's what we're going to do in the next three studies, Lord willing. You know, obviously this is a tough study, but it's not because the Bible is unclear. It's not because it's hard to know what God's will is concerning homosexuality. Rather, it's difficult for a couple of reasons that occurred to me as I was studying this week. In the first place, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I would imagine the vast majority of us know somebody, maybe a family member, a friend, a co-worker. We know somebody in our lives that is living a homosexual lifestyle. And these people are our friends. They are people that we love and that we care about. And you wish, you just wish, don't you, that you could, you could celebrate with them and that you could approve of. You wish in some ways because you care about them, not because of what they're doing, but because you love them. You wish that you could say, that's wonderful that you found somebody that you love and those kinds of things. And yet, the word of God's very clear about this. And God's people can't, we can't approve of and, and say that's wonderful and celebrate something that God says is sin. Romans chapter one, verse 32. Another reason why this is tough is because our world has said, our world meaning this country, this is a good thing. That's what our country has said. This is a good thing. And if you speak against homosexuality or homosexual lifestyle or that kind of practice, if you speak against that, then you're, they're, they're, they'll call you names. You're a homophobe or you're a bigot or worse sometimes. And so you can go to just about any store and you can see 
a lot of displays. Angie and I were just in a store a, a day or two ago and, and saw getting ready for Pride Month next month. It's in June. And the store had a display of all kinds of literature and books and, and you know, shirts with rainbow flags on them, things like that. The world says this is a good thing. And who are you to say? And what business is, of, is it of yours to say that this is not good? And then the third reason why this is difficult, and maybe this is the crux of it all, other sins are not usually taken by people and made a, a matter of identity, but this one is. If somebody's a thief, they don't go around proudly telling people most of the time, I'm a thief, I steal things. If somebody is a liar, they don't go around proudly saying to other people, I'm a liar, that's who I am, that's my core identity. But when it comes to this, people do. They identify this with their identity. And if you ask somebody who's living a homosexual lifestyle, how do you identify yourself? One of the first things they'll say is, well, I'm gay. And because this has been twisted together, this has been identified, this practice with people's identity, it's really, really, really difficult to reach across and build bridges and talk about the gospel plan of salvation. And listen to me before we even get any farther in the lesson. I've heard a lot of people over the years say, well, we need to hate the sin and love the sinner. It does not work to say that because, in this matter especially, it does not work to say that because people are identifying what God calls sin as their very self and their essence. And so when you say, I hate the sin, you're saying the, the way it's received by people who are living this lifestyle, well, you hate me then because this is who I am. It's not just what I do, it's who I am. And we need as Christians to be informed and aware and sensitive to that as we try to engage with our friends and our loved ones and those that we care about that are living this way. The passage that Brett read just a moment ago, uh, wasn't Brett, who read? Somebody else read. Anyway, I saw Brett sitting over there, he's on my mind. Whoever read, Chip, it was Chip. There you go. See you, Chip. The passage that Chip read just a moment ago was, it's these bearded guys. Um, the fact that the Bible says that there were some people in the church in Corinth, some people that lived there that had been practicing this lifestyle that had repented and become Christians. And that's where the title of this series comes from. Such were some of you. So in the city of Corinth 2,000 years ago, it's neat to think about the fact that they had converted all kinds of people from all kinds of lifestyles, adulterers and fornicators, but also people that had been living a homosexual lifestyle. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Jesus Christ. You have been saved. And that's what we want for people that are living this lifestyle even today. We want them to come to know God. We want them to come to be saved. Tonight, we're just talking, as I said, about what the Bible teaches about this. Maybe it's been a while since you've actually thought about, you know, you just kind of assume that people know that the Bible says this is a sin. I don't think we ought to assume that. And I certainly don't think we ought to assume our young people know that, that the Bible says this is a sin. And where would you go in the Bible to identify this as being a sin? And when you think about this, again, some things to think about what the Bible says about homosexuality. Some people in the church, even right now, are questioning whether this is even wrong. What does the Bible really say? After all, my close friend, they'll say, my loved one, my relative is living this way and you're gonna tell me that they're lost forever because this is who they are? What does the Bible really say about this? 
We also need to study this subject because as we look at the world around us, and especially as we look at members of the church, sometimes we speak and act in some unchristlike ways regarding this sin. Just because God says this is sin, just because he says it's wrong, does not give you and me the right to be mean-spirited, to call names, to make fun of. It does not give us that right to the people that we're trying to reach with the gospel. We need to think about how we approach others with the gospel message of salvation. We also need to remember this, in the Lord's church and elders especially, you need to think about this. We should no longer assume that the people who are within our walls are not struggling sometimes with same-sex attraction. It is something that is a phenomenon that it exists in just about every congregation. And as you think about people that we sit next to and that we worship with, I just wanna say, maybe you are in this category. Maybe you struggle with same-sex attraction. I want you to know tonight you're not alone. I want you to know that there are people here that care about you and that would love to be able to visit with you about that. And I want you to know this too. I want you to understand that the Bible tells us that we have to, have to seek God's will for our lives. We have to do that. But we need as a congregation and we need as people who are sensitive to what's happening in the world around us, we need to remember when we start talking about this subject, that some of the people we talk to and some of the people I preach to, you preach to, some of those people are struggling with some of these very issues. So it's not something that's just out there, it's away from us, it's something that is here, same-sex attraction. What I've got to do with the study tonight is just this. I just want us briefly to look at the passages in the Old Testament first and the New Testament that have to do with God's will concerning homosexuality. So get your Bibles out and we'll be looking at a couple of passages together in just a moment. You can start in Leviticus 18. I'll meet you there in a moment. Leviticus chapter 18. And then the third thing we're going to do this evening is just ask a question. What would God have us do? as his people, as, as the church that belongs to Jesus Christ, those of the, that have been washed and sanctified and redeemed, what does God want from us? That's all we're doing with the study this evening. Old Testament first. There are two basic ways that the Bible teaches about homosexuality. And it's important for you to identify both of these ways. The first thing that God's word does is God's word explains what God intended regarding marriage and regarding sexuality in general. It goes back to Genesis chapter two. And we're not gonna spend the time to do this tonight, but all through the Bible from Genesis two all the way to Revelation, the institution of marriage as God defines it and as God created it, it is held as being something that is noble, something that is good, and something that is right. And anything that would deviate from God's architecture, his design for marriage, anything that deviates from that, where sexual practice is concerned, is condemned. And so the first thing that God does when it comes to teaching about homosexuality is to affirm what marriage is, and to affirm the goodness and the sanctity and the holiness of marriage. You know, sometimes people will say this, and we'll talk about this more next, next Lord's Day, Lord willing. Sometimes people say, well, Jesus never talked about homosexuality. You know what Jesus did? 
Jesus affirmed that marriage is one man and one woman together for life. Matthew chapter 19, verses one through nine. He affirmed and he upheld that. And by doing that, implicitly, he addressed this subject because that's one of the ways the Bible teaches about it. And the second way the Bible teaches about this sin is specific passages that call it sin. There are two very specific passages in the Old Testament that deal with homosexuality. We're gonna look at one, a third one as well. And then there are three passages in your New Testament. Maybe you haven't thought about this in a while, but there are two Old Testament passages that specifically address homosexuality. Then there are three in the New Testament. Let's look at the Old Testament first. Leviticus chapter 18, look at verse 22. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22. I told you I'd meet you there in just a second. It's going to take me a second to get there. Here we go. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22. This is part of the old law, the Old Testament. In Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, God says, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And I want you to notice kind of the context here. There are other sins that are being described in this very same passage. For example, adultery, lying with your neighbor's wife and other sins that we're not going to name publicly here, but you can see them in your text. There are sexual practices that are being described here and God is saying, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, and homosexuality is among those. Turn over two chapters in your Bible to Leviticus 20 and look if you would at verse 13. Leviticus 20 and verse 13. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination, they shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Again, you have a capital punishment prescribed and that was prescribed for a lot of things in the Old Testament, but this particular sin is mentioned. And then I said, those are the two passages that specifically talk about how this is a sin, but you also have Genesis 19 verses four and five. Sodom and Gomorrah, when Lot and the angels are there in Sodom and the angels are in Lot's house in Genesis 19, verses four and five, the men of the city come to Lot's door at night and they're banging on the door and they're saying, send out those men that we saw go into your house so that we may know them. And it's, it's just a telling, a retelling of an account of what happened there in Sodom but look at what Jude writes. It's on the screen there behind me, Jude 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, Jude says, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, those cities serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire, Jude writes. And so what was the problem there in Sodom? What was it that these men were trying to do? They wanted to know those angels. They're talking about sexual abuse. They're talking about homosexuality. Again, when you look at God's word, it is very clear, it is unequivocal. It never speaks about homosexuality in a positive way. And then you have this as you turn to the New Testament. There are three passages, especially in your New Testament that deal with this sin. In the New Testament, we find, first of all, Romans chapter 1. Open your Bibles, if you would, there. Romans 1, verses 24 through 27. Romans chapter 1, verses 24 through 27. The Apostle Paul is writing about what's happened to the Gentiles. 
They do not know God. They've abandoned him. They have forgotten him, Paul argues. And in Romans chapter 1, he says one of the consequences, and certainly not the only one, is that in Romans 1 verse 24, God has given them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And in verse 26, it goes on to say, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. The men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing what the Bible calls shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. One of the things that Romans 1 tells us is that God's made a couple things obvious. God has made his existence obvious. People ought to know there is a God. We ought to be able to look at nature and what God's created. We ought to be able to know there is a God. The other thing God has made obvious is our sexual nature. And the Bible argues that our sexual nature is inextricably linked with our biology. If you were born a male, you are to play the role of a male. If you were born a female, you are to play the role of a female when it comes to sexual use of your body. Your biology determines what is natural. And to go against what our biology says, according to this passage, is unnatural. Turn to the next passage, 1 Corinthians 6. Look at verses 9 and 10. That chip read a moment ago. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10. I'm reading from the ESV. Chip's translation he was reading from was the New King James. And there are actually two terms in the Greek language here that refer to homosexuality. But it's only made one phrase in the ESV. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9, listen to what it reads. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor, if you look at the ESV, nor men who practice homosexuality. That's two terms in the Greek language. Both of them referring to homosexual acts, homosexual practices, but it's kind of just summed up here in the ESV. Men who practice homosexuality. And then it goes on and says in verse 10, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But then again, look at verse 11. But such were some of you. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. There were people in the church at Corinth 2,000 years ago who had obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ and they had left a homosexual lifestyle, they had left that practice and they had begun living for Jesus. And brothers and sisters, if it could happen 2,000 years ago, it can happen again today. We need as God's people to believe that. The world tells us, no, no, this is who I am. This is, this, is, this is ingrained in me. This is something that's foundational to my identity. There were people 2,000 years ago that had left that lifestyle and that were living as New Testament Christians that pleased Jesus Christ. And then the third passage, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Paul writes to Timothy about the nature of law. He says, law is for lawbreakers. Beginning in verse 9, understand this, 
the law is not laid down for, ju- for the just, but for lawless and disobedient people, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who, and now he goes into a list, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, verse 10, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. The Bible tells us this is sin. It is listed among other sins. There is no escaping it. There is no justifying it. There is no situation or scenario or rationale where this kind of practice is ever sanctioned by God ever. And my question for you is this, does your family know this? At home, when you, when you encounter things like this, does your family know, do your kids know? Do the people that you live with and the people that you care about, do they know this is what God says? God did not give us these commandments and he did not say these things because he's trying to hurt anybody or he's trying to harm anybody. Quite the opposite. God knows what's best for us because he is our creator. He is the one that designed us and he knows best what he had in mind when he designed our bodies. God knows how we were designed to live. And his word, among many other things, it protects the gift of sexuality. It protects it and it binds it in a loving, committed relationship, one man, one woman for life. That's the way God describes. He says anything else outside of that is going to hurt, it's going to harm, it's going to do evil to you and to others around you. That's the teaching of the scriptures. It upholds a high view of marriage and anything besides that when it comes to sexual practice is condemned as sin. Third then this evening, just briefly, what would God have us to do? We gotta fix the um, PowerPoint again, Joe, that's all right. Five things very briefly. What would God have us to do? In the first place, God would have us to know what we believe. What do you believe about this? Don't think that you're going to escape having to have this kind of conversation at some point in your life. You know the world we're living in. You know the people that we're living around. You know the people in your own life who are struggling with this. Don't think that you can just kind of avoid having any convictions about this. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, prove all things and hold fast what is good. What do you believe? Secondly, we, especially parents, have an obligation to talk to our families about this. We have an obligation from God himself. Isaiah 5.20, woe to those who call good evil and evil good. It's a topsy-turvy, upside-down morality that Isaiah describes, and we're living in it right now. If your kids don't hear from you about this, parents, where are they going to hear about this? Where are they going to hear God's will? You gonna wait for John to preach a sermon on this? And even then, I'm trying, as I said, to be discreet. I would imagine that most of the really young people among us have no idea what I'm talking about, and that's a good thing. Number three, we need as God's people to model godly homes and marriages. We need to. This is God's design. This is what he says he wants. 
for men and women to be married, one man, one woman for life, Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. And the kind of love that they exhibit for one another is the kind of love that Jesus and the church have for one another. That's his will and that's what the world needs to see. Because I'll tell you this, regardless of what the world says about love and about loving relationships, the world has rarely seen that kind of marriage. And when it does, and when people see it, understand this is what God intended marriage to be. It's winsome and it's influential. Number four, we need to know what we're talking about. Before you spout off about homosexuality, about its causes, about its origins, about people that live that lifestyle, before you just say things and repeat things and do not just repeat what you saw on social media or what you saw forwarded to you in an email. Don't just do those things. You need to know what you're talking about because we're talking about people's souls. We're talking about their lives. We're talking about their livelihoods. We're talking about people that love each other. We need to make sure that we know what we're talking about. Proverbs 20, 29 verse 11, a fool gives vent to all of his heart, but a wise man holds things back. Don't speak if you don't know for sure that what you're saying is accurate, is true. And finally, number five, what would God have us to do? He'd have us people, point people to the hope that Jesus provides. The hope that Jesus provides. We're gonna talk more in a couple of weeks about the identity aspect of this, about how people have taken this practice and they've made it who they are and how strategically as God's people, how might we think about bridging that relationship and, and helping to maybe open the door of the gospel in somebody's life. But we need to pray about and think about how we can point people to the hope that Jesus provides. We need to do it with tact with sensitivity and with an understanding of where people are, of what they're facing. You know, a lot of people will say in the church, well, you know, homosexuality is one sin, but it's listed among a lot of other sins. That's absolutely true. But there's something about this right now at this point in history, at this point in our country, there's something about this that the world, the devil, whoever it is, has just decided to make a flashpoint, a battleground. We can't be ignorant in all this. And we can't just passively say, well, that's somebody else's problem. We're the light, we're the salt. That's what God wants all of us to be. And there may, there may be some difficult days ahead for the people of God, but if we're doing God's will, he's promised to stand with us, to be with us. Let's sensitively and tactfully share the message of the good news with those who need to hear it. Thanks for listening this evening. Maybe you're here tonight and you wanna to obey the gospel or maybe you're here and you want prayers. If we could help you with either one of those needs, heaven's invitation is yours while together we stand and while we sing.